Hi everyone. Before I get started with today's episode, we have a few announcements to make. First off, here at The Gaily Prophet, we are very aware that there's a lot of heavy shit going on in the U.S., a lot of protesting over the multitude of black lives that have been ended due to police brutality. I know there are some podcasts that are, you know, delaying their shows, just trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do. Uh, We are going to continue as normal because we really feel in these times it's even more important to have something that brings you joy and a little bit of an escape from how terrible everything is. So this month we will still be airing uh, our Escape from Reality episodes. And because this is our second Pride Month, we'll have some special Pride episodes. But we just wanted to let you know that we're we're still here and we're still going to be giving you guys some uh, not-as-heavy content. <laughs> yeah, and so it's funny because this episode that you're about to listen to talks a lot about how much J.K. Rowling can't be trusted with allegory, but... In this instance, she actually did provide us with a really good allegory for figuring out what everyone's position should, with a capital S, be right now. So I'm just going to read the statement that we put out on social media in case you didn't see it, uh, just so that no one can be confused about what our stance is or what we think your stance should be. Uh, So... If you believe that you would have stayed to fight the Death Eaters, then right now is your opportunity to prove it. The Battle of Hogwarts was against the law. The Battle of Hogwarts was a fight between an oppressive, murderous government and those who refused to tolerate their regime. It resulted in significant property damage. It was not peaceful. If you agree with Harry that that fight was necessary, then you need to acknowledge that this fight is necessary. And um, since we are, you know, this is our first pride episode let's also just remember that pride is in existence because of people rioting and if you aren't behind the uprising that's happening right now you don't get to celebrate pride this year or ever yeah i mean pride pride was started as a response to the police brutality against queer people which still continues today like let's just be real especially for black and latino queer people especially for black and latino queer trans folks the cop like cops are still not safe for a lot of folks and that is why there shouldn't ever be cops at pride and that's why you should be embracing what is happening because that is how change happens in this dumpster fire of a country yeah so to that end we're gonna talk to you now about the things that we are gonna be doing to celebrate pride month starting with some ways that you can contribute financially to organizations and jesse's gonna talk to you about that uh yeah so we are uh we'll be having a sale for pride month we will be donating all of the um sales and any money that we make this month on patreon between june 1st and june 30th to the lgbt bail fund this is a really rad organization. They describe themselves as an organization that posts bail to secure the safety and liberty of people in jail and immigration detention who are disproportionately black, brown, and trans. So this is, you know, an excellent organization. People shouldn't be in jail ever, let alone during a pandemic, and definitely not 
because of protesting their right to live. So this is a great place for us to be giving our money to. And the perfect intersection of the gaily profit interests. <laughs> it, 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 truly, it truly is. So uh, everything will be 13% off in our shop. The sales code, uh, which is also on our website, is going to be BGDC2020. And as someone pointed out on Twitter, if you are queer and have ever said be gay, do crimes, you definitely need to donate some money to one of the organizations of folks out here fighting against police brutality. And y'all, we planned we planned something the next thing I'm about to describe because it's like, oh man, this pandemic is really rough on everyone mentally. And then everything got worse. But we, for your personal in-home enjoyment, have a activity book, a queer Harry Potter theme activity book free for your enjoyment. Yeah, I'm calling it a queer wait harry potter themed queer rated r highlights magazine this is something that i've been curating for you folks over the past few weeks and a lot of really cool artists very kindly were like oh a deadline in a week and a half for this idea that you just had out of nowhere absolutely i'd like to participate (laughs) so there's gonna be a lot of really cool stuff in there jesse wrote fanfic mad libs that are incredible um i made you a crossword puzzle and a word search and some connect the dots there's going to be a bunch of coloring book pages and other stuff and that's going to be available starting on june 4th it'll be in our shop it's free to download as a pdf and if you don't have a printer then you can get a physical copy for just the cost of printing and shipping so i think it'll be like three or four dollars so yes there's going to be that we are going to be doing a bunch of stuff on our socials so make sure that you're following us at the gaily prophet on uh, instagram and twitter and facebook we're going to be live tweeting the third movie on june 26th and of course there's the uh, special episodes that we do that you're about to listen to the first the first one of where we interview other queer people about topics in Harry Potter that are dear to their hearts. So, was that all the things? I think it was all the things. Cool. That's that's all the information I think that we need to tell you right now and we're going to get into this episode. Oh, see Ron is sitting next to my mic again. Please enjoy this cat purring. To calm your central nervous system. I'll uh, I'll post photos of him sitting next to my mic in the in my at home recording studio. It's pretty fucking adorable. Yeah, considering fostering a dog or cat during this coronavirus time, it's pretty rewarding. <laughs> Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. <laughs> This book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. (laughs) You shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. (laughs) Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about (laughs) Harry Potter. 
Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two queer IRL witches talk about non-chapter-related Harry Potter stuff because it's Pride Month and we want to. I haven't introduced this kind of episode in a very long time. (laughs) 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 Woo, Pride Month! (laughs) Yeah, I am, however, America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about possibly one of the most controversial things in this series, which is saying a lot. <laughs> it really is. Um, and that is we are talking about werewolfism as a metaphor for HIV. Yes. And here in our virtual studio to talk about this with us is an incredibly special guest, my best friend, for the last 20 years, <laughs> Jesse's girlfriend, objectively the reason the Gaily Prophet exists at all. <laughs> Nicole Stack, welcome to the Gaily Prophet. Hello. So excited to be here finally. <laughs> yeah, it only took 75 years, however long <laughs> we've been making this podcast. I've heard heard many a giggle through the muffled door of the room where <laughs> Jesse records the podcast. So You were you were recently on a patreon exclusive clip from oh. from an episode i don't know if you heard that or not was it was I when like... you were teaching us how to speak french oh okay okay that's better content i feel like usually when i interrupt the podcast i'm like hey when are we gonna make dinner yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah or like this bread is burning yeah. did you mean for that to happen yep. <laughs> yeah okay but can you tell us, tell not us, can you tell our listening audience why uh, you are a special guest on this episode? What are your qualifications? Well, uh, aside from being, you know, the, the glue that holds the Gaily Prophet together, obviously, <laughs> I am on this very special episode. Um, I So I work uh, as a nurse in Detroit, and my background before getting there, I worked at Planned Parenthood, obviously doing a lot of uh, sexual health education. I worked as like kind of a medical assistant there for many years. And prior to that, got the opportunity when I was in college to work with ACT UP, which is a super rad organization. Um, I'm sure we'll end up talking about it at some point throughout this episode. Um, And if you don't know about it, it's worth looking up. Can you give us a brief rundown of their... oh yeah yeah for our younger listeners i guess yeah yeah so um act up is was founded in the 80s um during the beginning and kind of the peak of the hiv aids epidemic um it was founded by basically it served to politicize the aids crisis it started in new york was founded by a group of radical gay men um, and it's kind of like since then spread uh, throughout the world and is still active today in advocating for political change and rights for people living with HIV AIDS. Awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool folks. With like really cute advertising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, actually. Yeah. Like one of their, their big reasons, like really specifically one of their goals is to be very what's the word like attention getting and again to like attract people's like attention and outrage to what's going on and so as a result yeah if you need like a cute t-shirt they got you covered give them some money Uh, i actually just 
found out today looking at their website that they have a very cute denim vest that is buy one get one free this says <laughs> silence equals death on the back of it that i'm probably about to buy mm-hmm. yeah probably yeah. like the gayest item one could possibly own so definitely Anyway, so we're going to split this episode up into two parts, sort of part one, where this allegory works, and then part two, why this allegory is the coldest of takes. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what, yeah, that's where we're going to start, though, is with sort of book three specifically. Jesse's going to handle part one, actually, so I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> Oh, wait. Sorry, I forgot that I was going to read the thing from J.K. Rowling. Yeah. I was like, wait, I feel like there was something that you were going to say that was important. There was. I'm just not looking at my notes. Okay. So before we get into that, though, here is sort of the what makes this theory or whatever canon is that J.K. Rowling has publicly stated, and I think it's it's in like a ebook that she published anyway here's the quote if you look it up anywhere this is the quote that you're going to find lupin's condition of lycanthropy parenthetical being a werewolf wait sorry sorry to interrupt um but somewhere in this episode you have to put the amazing shakira song she wolf which includes one of the finest lines ever sung on Top 40 Radio, this is lycanthropy. Maybe that can be like the little like interlude uh, sound bite. I don't know. Very That's important a, to this yeah, episode. Yeah, no, you're completely gotta right. Gotta put that in there. <laughs> yeah. I, like, okay. I like didn't even know, so I've already, I've already learned something. It's not even like 10 minutes into this podcast. Okay. Uh, so the condition of lycanthropy was a metaphor for those illnesses that carry a stigma like HIV and AIDS. All kinds of superstitions seem to surround blood-borne conditions, probably due to taboos surrounding blood itself. The wizarding community is as prone to hysteria and prejudice as the muggle one, and the character of Lupin gave me a chance to examine those attitudes. Everyone's head shaking is yeah. absolutely the right reaction <laughs> to that quote, but we're starting with the good stuff. So, uh, yeah, Jesse, please kick us off with that. All right. So, illness as a as a metaphor or a trope is pretty big thing in the culture of humans because you get sick a lot. So, this is not at, at any means a like very timely. <laughs> this mean you know. Given the current quarantine situation. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so illness is a trope as a metaphor. Pretty historic. Pretty one of those universal tropes, I would say. And there's a lot of things that come up a lot in these tropes. Um, and like, not all, like, obviously not all illnesses, but things like HIV. And as I found out in my research, syphilis. <laughs> I guess syphilis in a different way. But, you know... There are some illnesses that kind of come with people having a lot of shame around it, having to like hide these illnesses from people around them, from their employers, um, which is definitely a thing that happened in the 80s during the height of the HIV crisis where you could be fired for tests for being positive. So we have Lupin who... We don't find out as a werewolf to end the book. 
He has been hiding it this entire school year and is basically and basically has to quit his job because the because once he's basically outed as being as having this illness, he knows that none of the parents are gonna want him to teach at this school, which is fucked up. Uh, and in general, Lupin has a history of like hiding this illness from people. Like he hid it when he was in school. And is it is it, is this book where he mentions that like he, if it wasn't Dumbledore as the headmaster, he wouldn't even be able to go to school to go to Hogwarts anyway because of his illness. And so those and so these are things where it's like we see this trope happening IRL with other illnesses. And then also just kind of like. We get this sense at the end of the book that there's a bit of a hysteria around it where you're like, well, why can't you have werewolves going to your school and teaching your children? And I mean, it's it's basically like the way that Lupin anticipates the way that uh, the parents at the school and the other students see him now is sort of uh, reflective of the way that people tend to have a fear of a contagion or a disease um, thinking that it's much easier to get that disease than it actually is. Um, as we see in the books, you can only, you get it if you're bitten by a werewolf when it's, when it's an actual wolf, not when it's a person, as we see in later books. And in this book, the other thing is that we don't get any of like, like, we see that Lupin has had a hard life and that he, like, hasn't, he shows, like, tells us, like, he can't stay teaching and, like, presumably hasn't really been able to work and he's very poor. But we don't get any, like, Fenrir Greyback or, like, werewolf communities. Like, the the things that I think make this analogy problematic don't show up in this book, which is why I think earlier on where we're just seeing what the stigma that Lupin is breaking for us by showing us that like he's totally safe to be around he's sort of showing that to us until he like forgets to take his potion and then like puts everyone in danger at the end of the book so already here we're seeing that it's a problem but you know as far as like okay the point of this is to like break down stigmas when we're just looking at Lupin I think that there's much more potential for this allegory to work as you know if we assume that the goal is everyone's prejudice is completely unfounded and this shouldn't be what his life is like yeah and i feel like once we get to the end of the book and as we've said many times in this podcast that like not only is lupin like objectively the best teacher they've ever had maybe at all during in any of the t- any of the teachers like he's so good at teaching like he's so good at caring for the kids and you're like him having an illness that affects him a few days out of the month shouldn't and you, you just feel very deeply you're like this shouldn't mean you can't teach what you're good at to these kids because some people are like concerned about your illness like it's, it feels right. like bullshit because you're like but lupin you're so great no we definitely leave this book devastated that he will not be the defense against the dark arts teacher next year yeah exactly okay so with that context uh and no clear question because we <laughs> are terrible at framing interviews as question-based uh activities <laughs> can you give your input on how 
like whether or not this actually works as an analogy. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I agree with everything you you guys just said. So like, <laughs> for example, I I think it was Lark who first asked me about coming on the podcast to talk about this topic. And I'm, you know, obviously like a big Harry Potter fan. I've read the books a bunch of times, but I'm nowhere near as immersed in like the fandom as you guys are. So I was not familiar at all with J.K. Rowling's statement or how people had reacted to it or anything. So Lark was just like, oh, like, hey, like we want to have you on the podcast to talk about, you know, werewolfism as metaphor for HIV. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And I'm kind of like thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, I've never really thought about that. Like, yeah, I guess that kind of works. And then, like, probably, like, five seconds later, I was, like, actually, like, you know, I'm, like, thinking about the whole context of the books. I'm, like, I feel like this is kind of problematic. And, like, in my head, I didn't know what perspective you guys were coming at it from. And so, to myself, I'm, like, I feel like this is actually really problematic. And how am I going to, how am I going to break this to them? (laughs) That, like, this is actually, like, not really appropriate way to frame a, like, person who turns into a wolf once a month. Like, uh, you know, right from the jump. Like, I think, you know, exactly. Like, in this book, especially with Lupin painted as such a sympathetic and reasonable character, you can kind of find, like, you can see why she chose to have this be the metaphor, right? Or, But at the same time, like, many things that J.K. Rowling does pretty quickly are, like, you didn't think about this at all! You just, like, were like, let me get some points from marginalized people without actually consulting any of them. Yeah. So, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Which is especially fucked up considering how so queer-coded Lupin is. Well, and, like, the thing is, to be honest, like, I feel like being a werewolf, like, even if you just look at this book and Lupin, I honestly feel like being a werewolf is a way better metaphor for being queer, to be honest. I mean, I'm, my reading of werewolfism is that it's an allegory for being trans. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I think that works way better. For way sure. Way better. For sure. Which is like how we're going to be reading it when we talk about it. This interview is so that no one can be like, you never talked about that. <laughs> and we're like, we fucking talked about it so good. And now we never have to talk about it again yeah. because it sucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, being, yeah, if you're queer or trans, you just gotta go, like, rage once a month, because the world (laughs) around you is so fucked up. Like, that works so much better. And, you know, even thinking about in the context of Lupin being a school teacher, like, that is something there were active campaigns about in the past to not let queer, and I I think at at the time it probably didn't explicitly include trans people, but, like... That Not to say that anyone with HIV wouldn't face, also face a stigma specifically working with kids, but, like, I just, I mean, the only, the only clear thing that makes it more linked to something like HIV is that you, like, quote-unquote, catch it from someone. But again, people that are afraid of LGBT people interacting with kids are afraid that they're either going to get it from these people who teach them that it's okay to be LGBT or that they are going to hurt their kids because anyone who's queer or trans is obviously going to like just obsessed with sex and is going to molest their kids. Right. So like it, I feel like that metaphor honestly tracks 
way better. I guess there's no, like, potion that you take to get rid of being... Well, you, there's potions you can take to get rid of dysphoria. So, right. like, I don't know. But obviously, you know, there I mean, are places where the metaphor breaks down. take testosterone long but... enough and your period goes away, which is your moon-linked ailment right, right that's, so. <laughs> yeah exactly i'm like the, i'm like i feel like there's another way you could look at it right is like you know having a period once a month it goes with the moon like you could go in that direction yeah i don't know jk rowling unsurprisingly took the wrong path <laughs> yes <laughs> so right so even in this book where the allegory it comes the closest to working it's already failing yeah yeah i mean again like there are definitely like some points that you can pick out as working well with this metaphor like the main one being you shouldn't be afraid of people that have hiv aids um it is obviously a chronic illness but like a lot of chronic illnesses can be managed with potions and if you take those potions, correct, if you have access to those potions, which is a big deal, but, like, if you have access and you're able to take them correctly, you pose absolutely no danger to anyone. Um, and also that it is something that obviously has an enormous stigma still today and that preoccupies in really outsized part of, like, the human imagination, for lack of a better word, in the same way that, like, if werewolves were real, becoming a werewolf would be. So, like, there's, you know, there are obviously points where you're like, okay, I can see where this lines up. Right. And I feel like the accessibility part does come up in this book where it's like Lupin didn't have access to the wolfbane potion until he's literally teaching at Hogwarts. And, and like, not even because he's a teacher, because they happen to have someone at Hogwarts who can brew this complicated-ass potion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that also, like, is unfortunately, like, pretty realistic in our world. Like, you know, you have to, A, like, live in a country where HIV medications are accessible, and then, B, have the, like, health insurance or money, and then on top of that, the wherewithal to manage it, you know, like, it's it's pretty complicated, Arguably, like, for a lot of people, as complicated as having to have someone brew you a wolfsbane potion, but... So, yeah, that's another part of the metaphor where you're like, yeah, that's totally true. Like, you, you know, it can be obviously managed, but you also have to be in the right set of circumstances um, for that to happen. And if not, and if you don't have access to those things... Well, again, and, and then here it, like, starts to break down again, where you're, like, if you don't have access to those things, really the main person that is being harmed is yourself. Whereas, again, the big thing with becoming a werewolf, you know, Lupin, I guess, if I'm remembering correctly, like, after he's been a werewolf for a few days, like, locked in a in the shack or whatever, he doesn't look so great, but the main issue is, like, what if he got out and hurt someone? Whereas, like, obviously HIV is transmissible, but the main person that it hurts if it is not being managed is the person who has it. Right, because, I mean, I think, I guess in a, a, another way that, that this metaphor does work is that, so now, like, now, now in the part of the book that we're currently reading, 
Lupin has access to the Wolfsbane potion. And so when he transforms, he is basically a regular wolf. So he's not even like a risk at all to a a peaceful wolf, whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas when he was a student, I guess they, the Wolfsbane potion didn't exist yet or whatever. And so he was like locked up in the shrieking shack to like be a full, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. werewolf in both of those cases, his risk of hurting someone else is protected. So I feel like it's like one is better for him than Mm -hmm. the other, which I think works as far as the, like, even if you don't have access to the medications to control HIV, you still have ways that you can like keep, yourself from spreading it right like you can still use protective mechanisms or protective barriers when you are having sex with other people and so it's still like condoms are the shrieking shack right yeah. and like medication <laughs> <laughs> sorry Jesse, yeah. i didn't mean to make you spit water everywhere no you're no like that's okay yeah yeah okay so wait hang on here <laughs> so the shrieking shack is condoms i'm i'm on board with this that tracks and then wolf spain wait a minute Hang on, sorry, I'm trying to think here. Wolfsbane is antivirals. Into, right, would be like the medicine. I was going to say it's prep, but prep is being an animagus. Yes, it is, 100%. Think, yeah, that's kind of where these all, which I don't, right. when she wrote these books, prep didn't exist, so that's definitely what not what good old JK had in mind, but yeah. No. So... Now everyone can, if everyone could turn themselves into an animagus, if they were going to interact with a person who was turning into a werewolf, that would be the equivalent of prep. So, like, if your loved one is a werewolf, you learn to become an animaga? How do you say that word? (laughs) I say animagus because it is rooted in magician. Wait, is animagi the plural? Oh, Lord. Yeah, animagi is, is plural, I think. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Although, I guess, like, I'm trying to think. So, then, if Lupin turns... I, I can't remember. So, he just turns into a regular wolf and just hangs out? I thought it was that, like, he he's, like, a wolf, but he still has his, like, human consciousness. It's not, yeah. like... Well, but he still he can't, can like, control. go teach his class as a wolf. Well, but, I, mean, I mean, actually, he 100% could because he's only a wolf at night, and there's absolutely no reason that he gets locked up for the entire yeah. three days unless he doesn't feel good and so is actually just, like, taking sick time because okay. Okay. he's having cramps because it's actually an analogy <laughs> for being FTM trans. Yeah, no, that, again, that works way better. It's less of a stretch. But he's having a flare-up, moral of the story. <laughs> Except that still breaks down once you get to the later books and you're like, okay, so all the other werewolves are, like, super evil and want to just eat people? Like, what the Correct. fuck? Correct. Like, the the analogy in, in any case, when you get to, like, Greyback, is just ruined, basically. And here's where, like, if it was written differently, it could actually still be great as if Fenrir Greyback and his followers were not, like, fascists and were instead, like, you know, you could also, if you 
kind of ignore a lot of what was written about them in the book, you could see them as activists because they are these people that are like, fuck you, I'm a werewolf. You know what I mean? I mean, granted, they're like, fuck you, I'm a werewolf. I'm going to attack you, which is, again, where this, like, kind of breaks down. But, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm a werewolf. Like, deal with it. You all should be werewolves, too. Like, again, this, this it, it does read a little bit like, I don't know, the gay agenda or <laughs> to some degree, like, act up. I mean, no one's out here being like, everyone should have HIV. So, again, it doesn't work well with that. But they are campaigning for werewolf acceptance in a really fucked up way. I'm not pro. I mean, he could he could be. Or at least, like, not hiding it. It's like, I'm a fucking right. werewolf. And yeah, it's like, like visibility. Right. Which when, like, your other option is, like, this is a horrible secret that no one can know. I mean, those are definitely, we have the two terrible extremes. There's And there's not an in-between presented in the book like there is in reality. But, yeah. Yeah, so let's get into, you know, where this all gets, like, super awful. We don't really meet explicitly meet any werewolves besides Lupin and Greyback, but the impression that we get is that I actually don't know. So like when Wol- when Lupin goes and like lives amongst other werewolves, do you have an idea, Jesse, of if they're like more like him or more like Greyback? I mean, I feel like it seemed like it was more like gray back and that it was sort of like werewolf separatism like living more like a wolf kind of i don't know like it, it just kind of you just kind of kind of got the sense it's like weird like sort of like extremist cult vibes right well i guess right of course because dumbledore sends loop in there to try and stop the werewolves to from going over to voldemort and so mm-hmm. if that's a risk that people think exists then obviously they're not in the same like allegory as lupin at all he's the exception right but i feel like it also goes back to what nicole was saying if if it's a situation in the witching world where if lupin discloses his status as being a werewolf and then he's like fired or whatever then it's like you kind of understand where if they were other people was like well fuck you I'm, i'm a werewolf like let's just Let's not even sugarcoat this, you know? Right. Right. But when you have that in the context of, and therefore they're going to join the wizard fascist army, that's like those two things are not actually analogous, I guess. No, No. but I mean, again, there's like that seed of truth in there where it's like, you know, if greater society is like shunning you and making you suffer and telling you that you're unsafe and horrible. And then Voldemort, who, you know, not a cool guy, but is like, hey, love you guys. Come on in. Like, you know, it's hard not to feel slightly sympathetic to them in that situation, you know? And I I feel like, and obviously this whole metaphor doesn't work very well, but, yeah, you know, like a lot of, Besides, like, the Death Eaters and the Dementors, it's, like, who are Voldemort's other kind of allies? He has werewolves, he has giants, he has trolls, correct? hmm Like, other people that the witching society is basically just like, well, fuck you guys, for various reasons. Right. You know? 
And so Voldemort being like, well, listen, I can supply you with your desires and also fuck the ministry. And it's sort of like, I don't know. It's a little bit like how you kind of understand how like tea party and like right wing, like extremists get people where it's like, yeah, you know, you really could, don't you really just want to do whatever you want to and own a bunch of guns and like not have anyone tell you what to do? Well, I have a solution for you. Mm-hmm. But again, the pro- but the problem lies in that there is no like shade. There's no really shades of gray with like the werewolves or the giants. It just seems they're all just like violent and want to like eat people. And you're like, that is an actual problem. Although I mean, you know, they're not written about, but you assume you'd have to assume that there are tons of werewolves that are like Lupin and want to live in society for you know, whether it's because they just want to or they have families and loved ones and whatever who are a part of society. And so because of the stigma, they just have to hide it, you know? I mean, we can't assume that, but if we only, if we only ever see, like, one quote-unquote good werewolf, which is Lupin, and then a bunch of, like, violent pro-fascist werewolves like Veneer Greyback and his gang, then it's like, you could have you thrown in another fucking werewolf in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely from the point of view of J.K. Rowling, like, yeah, that was, yeah. If she was going to try and really make this a metaphor, she fucked up. Surprise, surprise. So can we talk about Greyback? Yeah. So one of the things that someone sent, one of our listeners sent, was asking, ooh, asking to talk about the fact that both werewolves and both some werewolves and some HIV positive people hurt people on purpose. And then they cited specifically someone in Italy, which I think is where this person lives, who was intentionally passing HIV to young women, which is what Greyback does. I mean, it's this person's thing is a one-for-one analogy to Fenrir Greyback, who delights in infecting as many young children as possible and raising them away from their parents to be violent werewolf fascists with him. Which is a great analogy for, like, being a sociopath, but has literally nothing to do with HIV. Right, right. I mean, yeah, yikes is exactly really like, all I have to okay. say to that. <laughs> okay, but Nicole, I saw, you, I saw you roll your eyes, and I feel like you should discuss why. Because I feel like you maybe you've heard this before, and you're like... Yeah, I mean, that's like a big... Honestly, even this one person in Italy is not an analogy for Fenrir Greyback, because this person... Is this person trying to create a movement of other HIV-positive people to go around and infect everybody? And if so, have they had any success in doing that? You know, like... Oh, that's true. Like that... So, no, that doesn't work at all. And then, B, I mean, you kind of already said this, but, like, yeah, that person is a dangerous and fucked-up person, um, just like anyone else who goes around killing people or harming people on purpose. Like. Right. Just because this person also happens to have HIV and that's their weapon of choice, like, that's a coincidence. That's not, that doesn't realistically have anything to do with HIV. And this, like, also, like, gets me a little bit fired up because there, 
obviously is this idea of someone that will go around purposefully spreading HIV that is very, I don't know, scary, I think, to a lot of people. And in fact, if you are HIV positive, having unprotected sex with someone can't is a criminalized act in a lot of the world. And on its surface, it can seem like an okay idea because if you are HIV positive, you should A, disclose that to all of your sex partners and B, take every step that you can to not spread it to those partners if they're also, if they are HIV negative. So like there's a kernel of truth there, but I mean, setting aside the idea of the prison industrial complex, which we shouldn't set aside, but setting that aside because that's kind of a whole other can of worms, it's just very problematic to... So there's a lot of factors that go into it. A, a lot of people who are HIV positive um, do not know that they're HIV positive. We do not live in a country or a world where testing is, again, like, we go back to that stigma, like, getting tested is not something that people do regularly, that is easily accessible to a lot of people, and then B, we also don't live in a world where finding out that you are HIV positive is anything less than, like, completely, you know, devastating for a lot of reasons, even though, again, if you are someone who lives in, like, the United States and has access to healthcare it is, can be managed just like any other chronic condition. Um, you can have a normal lifespan. Like, yeah, you have to deal with daily medications. That totally sucks. But, like, it isn't – people definitely still have in their minds that it is the worst possible thing that can happen to you when the truth is so far from that. And a lot of that, again, comes back to not any actual health ramifications but to the stigma attached to being HIV positive. And – Anyway, so if we go back to, like, passing HIV being criminalized or being, you know, being HIV positive and having sex being criminalized, the world we should live in is one where if you have sex with someone, you have a conversation with them and you say, hey, when was the last time you got tested? You know, you talk about your status as far as STIs. And if this is a new partner, ideally, no matter what, you use condoms. And I know, like, that that isn't necessarily a realistic scenario, but putting 100% of the blame on someone who's HIV positive is super problematic. It assumes this, like, ill intent that does not exist for 99% of people. And to be honest, on a certain level, it creates a disincentive to get tested. Because if you don't have a positive test and you don't know you're HIV positive, you can't be prosecuted. But if you've gotten that test and you know you're positive, you have that risk of someone down the line saying, they didn't tell me that they had HIV, whether or not that's true. And, you know, and we know, like, for a fact that, again, penalties, criminal penalties are applied very unevenly in the world and in the United States. And so especially given who the majority of people who are HIV positive are in this country and the world being mostly queer black and brown people. It's, yeah, it's just a, it's a terrible. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. Go, go ahead. 
No, sorry. I was just gonna, uh, I actually read a really excellent, there's a really excellent comic on the nib about this, where the author is talking about sort of how in Canada, like it's, uh, illegal not to disclose your HIV status. It kind of goes through like some activism around that. And like a couple of cases about people who have gotten a lot of jail time because they haven't disclosed their status. And of course, how it like disproportionately affects people of color and like immigrants because racism. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I just, I'm going to send to you Lark, we can put it in our show notes. It's a really excellent comic about like, because I feel like until I read that a couple years ago, I didn't even know that it was illegal to like, like a lot of places have it be illegal to like not disclose your status to your partners. Yep. Even yeah. though it's like, right, like in a world of like, you know, medication and modern medicine, there's some people who are like, well, I think at the end of the day, it's just, we should have a world, like, we don't live in this, like, magical snow globe where it's completely easy and normal and shame-free to talk about testing an STI status when you're having sex with someone. Mm -hmm. And that's across the board. That's not restricted to people with HIV or anything else. Like, that's... I worked at Planned Parenthood for a long time. I can tell you how dumb everyone is when it comes to sex. Everyone. And, like, that's not to blame on any of these individual people. It's on the world and the system that we live in. It's Absolute not easy to talk education. about these things. Yeah, l l sex education. Like, it's it's not easy to talk about. We don't have scripts for bringing these things up. It's not a comfortable conversation to have. It's stigmatized. And it also, like, feels unfair like I get it but it also feels kind of unfair to have HIV singled out when there are tons of things that you can get from sex you can get hepatitis you can get chlamydia you can get gonorrhea you can get syphilis and like I obviously there's a level of difference between these things but at the same time it does feel really unfair and it, it again it speaks to the like boogeyman that like HIV remains culturally more so than any medical fact. Can I mm -hmm. jump in there with some facts, some fun facts? So apparently, like, there's a lot of literature and feelings and misinformation around syphilis back in the day. And apparently shit like on, like, U.S. Navy boats getting rid of doors that have doorknobs because they were concerned that that's how syphilis was spread. <laughs> and my biggest pet peeve ever, so the, the reason why public bathroom started having that like paper stuff to put on the toilet seat because the government was telling people that that's how you prevented getting syphilis people still think that's how you can get chlamydia so i know people i i mean i this is a completely different rant but i just like the people who use the women's restroom who are like i only squat to pee i'm like what do you think you're gonna get and they're just gonna get pee all over the fucking seat just fucking give up. Just, you're not going to get anything sitting on a public toilet seat. No, and now I'm going to sit and pee when I go and sit on that toilet seat. So fuck you. Yeah. Also, everyone should watch the episode of Mythbusters where they like tested to find out the dirtiest part of a bathroom and the toilet seat was the most germ-free right. part of <laughs> the Oh my god, bathroom. yes. This is such a pet peeve of mine. You guys, fluids. Like, fluid to fluid is where the danger zone is. Or your hands. Anything you're touching with your hands. Because, again, then you're touching your mucous membranes. I feel like we're all, with, you know, coronavirus, I feel like we're all up on the hand-washing uh, tip. But, you know. But also, you can't. 
But even like if people who are like, oh, I don't want to send toilet poison, I don't want to get corona. You also can't get coronavirus sitting on toilet seats. So please no. just sit on the toilet. Sorry, this is, I don't know why this makes me so angry, but it does. Well, because it's, people are just, people are concerned. It's like the wrong, it's like the wrong amount of concern for the wrong thing. It's yes. like, it's like, instead of worrying about squatting to pee, worry about washing your fucking hands or vaccinating your fucking kids. Right. Right, like, keep that, like, take that energy and put it in the, like, evidence-based place, <laughs> please. Yep. Anyway. So, werewolves. <laughs> so, werewolves. Yeah. Closing thoughts, maybe, on, like, in summary, this analogy <laughs> does not work because, give me a soundbite to put on social media. Okay, listen, Lupin could be a gay, a gay werewolf because he loves Sirius, not because of his werewolfism. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Because um, I, mean, I think also part of it is that the idea that like only gay people get HIV, which of mm. course is like not true at all. Right. And we all know how very queer Lupin is. I mean, I guess somewhere, I guess that doesn't really work as a soundbite, but like, I guess somewhere else where it does make sense as metaphor is like you know thinking about like oh there's this fear from parents at the school that like because if lupin's a werewolf like therefore the kids could become werewolves overall there's just obviously a total like ignorance about what it what being a werewolf entails and like how it is spread you know because even in you know 2020 people like definitely like feel like they can get HIV very easily. Um, and honestly, I think, I think this actually, this actually kind of goes back to the toilet seat thing where like people, so like, for example, you know, like I work in a hospital and like, I feel like people get anxious in like the wrong ways about like contracting something from like, whether it's like they're a staff member and they're worried about like a patient or whatever, where it's like, really at the end of the day like follow you know follow procedures and like wash your hands and like at the end of the day it's like werewolves are really good at seeming really scary and they do seem really scary and what we learn about them in the book is that really like they're really not all that scary unless like you know these unusual circumstances occur where like proper measures aren't taken and again, that kind of does apply. I think that's what we should learn from the book. Right. Like, this is what happens right. with all, every single one of J.K. Rowling's attempts at social allegory, where it's like, okay, here's what I mean to do, right? She starts off, and like, what you just said is where it starts, and you're like, you know, not perfect, but like, okay. And then we get to books six and seven. And it's, like, actually complete rubbish because you just, like, everything that you started off doing, you completely broke down by showing Lupin as, like, a good sick person and all other werewolves as bad sick people. Like, ranging from being bad sick people to being, like... Dangerous sick people? Dangerous, aggressive sick people, right? And we see that with, like, house elves where it's like Hermione's on the right track and then like the further we get into the books the more it's like 
they legitimately love being enslaved and like will not be freed no matter how nicely you ask and look azkaban is the worst place on earth am i ever going to revisit this and actually call for like (laughs) prison abolition or anything that should reasonably follow from what azkaban is absolutely not so it's like she just can't follow these attempts from intention to completion and in fact just like bulldozes over where she starts and ruins ends up furthering the stigmas that i think she's attempting to address in a sense that's very much like the real world (laughs) (laughs) like oh this thing is terrible let's do absolutely nothing about it yeah except she's like writing for children and trying to like help them become better people and in the end is sending messages that are the opposite of what she should be sending and claims to be sending sorry jesse you're you had your hand up oh i was also gonna say that it's sort of the same with giants totally yes don't don't be you know afraid of half giants and then it's like oh by the way giants are awful and i'm like definitely be afraid of real giants unless you know hagrid can do like one-on-one like rebirthing therapy or whatever the fuck it's called that you do with children oh no the like oh yeah uh, which is basically what she does with grop let's be real like that's fair um so yeah if you're gonna write about uh illness as a metaphor for any fantasy trope please follow through and think about that first before you uh go through with that sometimes you can just have werewolves and they can just fucking be werewolves yeah if you're mm-hmm. gonna have a grayback have grayback be the one exception and don't have your f- don't have lupin be the exception like you did it backwards mm-hmm. okay any closing thoughts nicole you know great books poor morals that's you know <laughs> harry potter <laughs> read it for fun not for guidance yeah get your guidance from the gaily prophet and not from <laughs> yeah. the books themselves yeah exactly that, that's the moral Okay, so we're going to have a bunch of links in the show notes where you can read more about why this is a trash take. And that is where we're landing, right? Still a trash take. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she tried it. It didn't work. Can you try to do like a three-point bullet point of like why, why it doesn't work? Okay, I mean, the most important bullet point is that people with HIV are not dangerous. Werewolves are dangerous. Like, immediately, full stop, your take falls apart. Um, They're also, because of Fenrir Greyback, it also completely falls apart because, with the exception, apparently, of some dude in Italy, HIV-positive people are out here living their lives, not trying to infect other people with HIV. There's also an episode of Law and Order SVU about that. See, that's why I can't watch that show anymore. Like, I just <laughs> shit like this. I'm like, does this one single person exist in the world? Maybe. Is this the thing we need to be putting on TV instead of just, like, every white serial killer ever? No. Please give me a show that is just serial killers. <laughs> there are so many shows for that. Uh, also, there's at least, like, three 
purposely infecting people with HIV urban legends that I can like think of the top of my head. Oh my god, yeah. People are obsessed with this idea. And like here's the thing, guys, people with HIV are not obsessed with you and giving you HIV. Like stop it. Also yeah. they're urban they're urban legends for a reason. They don't actually happen. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna send you the list of urban legends, I think, actually. Okay. Yeah, we'll put them in the show notes. Okay. And actually uh, this is uh not really a third bullet point about werewolves, but my third bullet point for every listener is get tested. Talk to your partners about when they've been tested. These are conversations that we all need to be having. Any, you know, anything that you can, you know, get from a sexual partner or spread to a sexual partner is something that you should try to avoid spreading. And HIV is not special in that way. We should all just be having these, like, open, honest conversations. And not just because you're scared of getting HIV, but because you want to be a responsible human. Oh, thanks, babe. (laughs) Putting out the good information. Uh, I also just want to say that in case anyone thought of this, uh, wild wolves are also not dangerous. They want to stay as far away from people as possible and eat elk and deer and whatever the fuck else is in the woods. So And they're good for the environment. Yeah. So, you know, make sure your place that you live doesn't hunt them to extinction or whatever the fuck. So. Yeah. Without wolves, the deer all get to tuberculosis which is a communicable disease that they then die from ironically yeah we have a what is it a, the, the deer in michigan have a like a chronic wasting disease that i think people can get because we only have wolves in like the up in like one island and it's like flying more wolves i'm here i'm pro pro wolf this is a pro wolf podcast <laughs> pro wolves pro werewolves cool okay good yeah great Thank you so much, Nicole, for talking with us and debunking this bullshit. Yeah, so glad I finally made it on the pod. Yeah, we'll probably bring you back when we go to the witching hospital in book Yes, That's going to be my moment to shine. Yeah, resident (laughs) uh, healthcare expert. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks with another rad interview. As you said at the beginning of the episode, you can find us on the interwebs. We are on the big social platforms at The Gaily Prophet. Uh, We're on Tumblr at The Gaily Prophet Pod. And you can find us on our website at thegailyprophet.com. You should leave us reviews. You should tell your friends about us. You should repost our things on social media. Um, And yes, if you wanted to find me on the internet, I'm at Lark Malachi. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I on Instagram slash that's also the way you spell my website. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit, where I'm mostly yelling about politics. Or you can see photos of me and my cats on Instagram at live from detroit our show art is by theo julian forrester the music in our intro is by kevin mcleod we don't have a spoiler warning for pride month so we'll see you next week stay gay be gay to crime (laughs) be gay be gay to crime that's our pride month sign